Rodgers has it. Gives to Franklin. He no, dies. No, I don't think no, he got it. I no, don't think he got out, it. The ball is out. The Bengals have scooped it up. Bouncing in the pocket, his throw caught at the 10-yard line. T. Higgins straight into the end zone. Touchdown, Bengals. It's a TD. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. And uh, we've got what sort of two three weeks to go three weeks to go until the draft and uh, it's all jolly exciting isn't it and um i'm not for the first time in my life i've miscalculated horribly and i, I did say that we we're gonna have dave lapham on this week but um the idea being that we'd have dave the week before uh, the draft and joe goodbury in the week of the draft but of course uh, an extra week has appeared from somewhere so we're not gonna do draft stuff today uh we're gonna do something equally as fun and uh, equally as interesting. And joining me is the uh, the fun and interesting Nathan Palmer. Nathan, hello. How you doing, my son? Nice to see that you're false advertising to our listeners, but I love it anyway. <laughs> well, you know, lots of other people get away with false advertising, so why can't we now and again? <laughs> we've got we've got some stiff competition out there these days, all the Bengals podcasts. We've got to try whatever underhand tactics we can to lure them back. That's right. Next week, Zach Taylor's going to be on Naked. and um, <laughs> Chad Ochocinco as well. All together, Elizabeth Blackburn, Mike Brown's going to be there in the background somewhere. Um, oh, goodness me, next week's podcast is going to be amazing. I can tell you that. Um, this week, um, because of news, we do have some news to review and talk about and chat about. Uh, because of the news uh, coming out of Paul Brown Stadium last week, we thought we would pay tribute to Giovanni Bernard. Uh, and yes, that does mean a tribute song. I, I give you advance warning for that. Um, but we thought it would be cool to get someone who has worked with Gio and knows him inside out, both on the field, in the locker room, and uh, as a man himself. And that man is former Bengals running backs coach, Kyle Kasky, he'll be joining us a little bit later for, um, he, he provides a really great insight into Geo the man, talks about a bit of draft stuff as well, as as you would imagine, uh, and also, uh, what else does he talk about, uh, who he would draft as well, so uh, Kyle's coming up in a little while, but uh, yes, news aplenty from Paul Brown Stadium uh, in the past week since we last spoke to you. Uh, first off, Nathan, where should we start? Let, let's start with the Ring of Honor. First of all, where I want to start, son, is I oh, want to know, know. If, you, if do you think that you know me as a man? Like, as a man, do you think you know me? <laughs> <laughs> what you, what makes you tick? Um, well, it's mostly Manabria that makes you tick, I think. <laughs> and Tony's Chocolonely. Um, yeah. What is it about? I don't know. I, like, I think you like uh, what makes you tick. That's a really good question. What? Who are? Who no, is, I said. I said do, you, do you know me as a man? Well, I know you as a as a man. Yes, I think I do. <laughs> I don't know you as anything else, to be honest with you. How would you describe yourself as a man? And uh, let's see if I agree with you. I don't know. I just, that's why it's a difficult thing to quantify. Is what, what is knowing someone and knowing someone as a man? Does it just mean like knowing them personally, I guess? I think so, yeah, that's it. 
But um, I was just trying to go somewhere with that, but you know. Yeah, now now's not the time to do. We're not we're not quite the comedic duo we used to be, are we? No, we're jaded. We're tired after a long, hard day's work. And uh, no, I don't know what what makes you a man. What makes Nathan Palmer a man? Perhaps anybody out there would like to send us uh, some <laughs> tweets to tell us uh, what makes uh, Nathan. What makes him tick? What is the essence of Palmer? What does that feel like? What is it? Um, answers on a post-it note exactly yes uh on geo's car no doubt um anyway let's talk about the ring of honor because that was finally confirmed i think we all knew it was coming at some stage it's come before the uniform announcement um and it's the ring of honor uh nathan and two people have been automatically uh inducted if that's the right word and that is of course paul brown and Anthony Munoz, our old chum Anthony, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, prior to he didn't know anything about it, obviously. But um, um, it's cool, isn't it? I think I'm quite excited by this. It keeps the fans talking about things, and it's a a, a good way to keep the fires burning over the off season. I think. Hundred percent, and it, it's part of this new approach from the Bengals, really trying to incorporate and include the fans in everything that's going on. And it's been something that fans have been asking for for a long time. There's been a lot of chatter on Twitter and offline as well about other teams are doing it. It'd be a great way to honour the past players and veterans and current players of the team and everything else. And I think that it's a really smart initiative. It's gone down extremely well, and I think the two people uh, with Paul Brown and Anthony Munoz being the first two people inducted is a nice touch. And I think over the coming years, it's going to be a really nice feature uh, for the team. It'd be a great addition to Paul Brown's stadium as well. So I don't think you can really knock it at all, to be honest. No, I mean, it's I mean, it's taking its time coming, it has to be said. Um, but it's here now, that's the main thing. And as I say, it gives us fans to talk, uh, a chance to talk about players that um, perhaps people didn't know about from history. You know, your Mike Reeds or your Bob Johnsons or your... Bob Trump is or whoever, you know. Um, so I think it's a great thing uh, because we have had, because we have had some fantastic players in the past and it's a great way to celebrate them and educate people uh, if they don't know them. Uh, and of course, you know what the Bengals are doing, they're offering season ticket holders the chance to vote for uh, some inductees. And I have to say, it's got to be Ken Anderson and Ken Riley up next, I think, uh, for the inaugural class of four, which is what they're doing. Um, and then you're looking at your boomers, you're looking at your, I don't know, David Fulchers and Tim Crumrise and uh, Max Montoyas, perhaps. You Chad, Chad Ocho Cinco. Chad Ocho, him, yes. And uh, perhaps TJ Hushmanzada and... Uh, other uh, likely lads. I mean, do you think Marvin would ever get looking at that, or do you not think he'd ever be in the frame? Well, I did put it out there, and I did, I did ask people for their sort of left of centre. I think everybody knows the ones. You know, your Willie Anderson's yeah. going to go in there, right? That's not, yeah. a, that's not an issue, right there. Your Andrew Whitworth will when he retires. AJ, you, you Gino, think yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Russell Bodine probably not, to be honest. <laughs> Bobby Hart, well, I think they're all struggling. Uh, Chris Crocker, not much of a chance, to be honest with you. Um, Antoine Odom. 
goodness me. If it was just for one game against the Packers with that five-sack <laughs> game, then he'd be, I think you just shove everyone else out of the way and put Antoine up there. They'd have the whole, just rename the stadium, Antoine Odium <laughs> Stadium. For God's sake. Um, Do you remember that game against the Packers? He, he was went nuts. Ball. He was, and then he did nothing. He got injured and then did nothing. I think his house burnt down, which was unfortunate. Not because of anything. Um, uh, it just added to the weirdness. Maybe Aaron Rodgers burning it down. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. <laughs> did you see Aaron Rodgers presenting Jeopardy uh, recently? Yeah, I did see that. He put a lot of research into the role, apparently, as well, like yeah. learning all the phrases and how the, all of that. So, yeah, he did well, apparently. That's weird. Who would you, who would you get to, What quiz show? Who would you... Maybe, uh, I don't know, what football player would you get to host Who Wants a Billy Millionaire over here or something like that? You'd Peter have. Crouch would do a good job, wouldn't he? Mm, that's true. Uh, Peter Shilton on the chase, maybe? I don't know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> right, um, we digress. It's the Ring of Honour. And um, I did ask people for their kind of left-of-centre suggestions for the Ring of Honour. Um, have you got any left-of-centre Ones that one, I don't think it's too left to centre, but we haven't said his name. Potentially a Corey Dillon, yeah, 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 that's a good shout. Um, just trying to think about who else, really. Desmond, um, Desmond Briscoe, Ick, the Ick, obviously, Icky Woods would be in with a shout, wouldn't he? Be fairly mm. fancy, but I mean, it's funny, really, because we've already said probably 15 names, maybe 10 to 15 realistic names. So you, you do like wonder at how sort of deep will this run and obviously as the years go by you start to sort of consider players like you said that you know more recent like your uh, Andrew Whitworths and people like that I mean it is going to be interesting I mean have you got any particular sort of I mean you, I know you go back further than me son so you've got easy, a bit more leverage easy. um yeah I mean <laughs> I've got a few I think uh you've got to have Bob Trump in I think I think you've got to do the older generation before you do the new guys right because I mean, you yeah. saw what happened to Ken Riley. Ken Riley would have loved uh, the um, the whole thing, you would imagine, and and that's well deserved. And of course, you know, the hope is that the more you honour Ken Riley within the club and shout about him and people like Ken Anderson and Willie Anderson too, the more the Hall of Fame, the actual Hall of Fame, will notice this. And so, I do think the Ring of Honour is a good thing on on quite a few different levels. Um, Bob Trumper, you've got to put in, I think, um, left of centre. I don't know. I think is Max Montoya left of centre. I'm not sure. Um, I'd like to see a few coaches on there. Bill Walsh, perhaps. Maybe he's Sam not... White should be Sam White should definitely. Forrest Gregg definitely. They took the team, their teams to the Super Bowl. Uh, Dick LeBeau, you know, he was there. I mean, people think of him as the Steelers' uh, defensive coordinator for a number of years. But, of course, he was with the Bengals for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, he came up with all sorts of innovative stuff while he was at the Bengals and then sort of perfected it at the at the Steelers. So I'd like to see Dick LeBeau up there. I'd like to see Bill Walsh up there. Uh, players, you know, as I say, Max Montour. Carl Pickens, I think, deserves uh, a place in there. And, you know, what even people like, you know, Jim Breach, a kicker's got to be in there somewhere along the, the, the line. I mean, you could make an argument for Clark Harris and Kevin Huber. How about <laughs> that? Seriously, though, well, they, they've, they've, they've been in for years. You know what, though? 
<laughs> isn't it lovely to have this debate though? Yeah, Do you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? I think this is why it's such a fantastic initiative because it provokes this type of chatter and it makes you look back into the Bengals history books and who the key players were there and it, you know, older and younger fans can sort of unite um to talk about this and discuss it and remember some of these fantastic players and have their names etched around Paul Brown Stadium for years to come. So I think in general, just such a fantastic initiative and yeah, as you said before, a long time overdue. I do think, and I would like to see, a permanent museum-type uh, yes. place where fans, not just in Cincinnati, but this is for kind of overseas fans and fans who live outside of Cincinnati, uh, dotted around the, the US and Canada. It would be great to have like a little restaurant and bar and then a Bengals museum somewhere near to the stadium or up in, in the downtown area. I think that could be a bit of a money spinner, you know, like... Like, pretty much like the Hall of Fame, you know, kind of exhibition style kind of uh, bits of video and, and and memorabilia and you can have player signings there and all sorts of stuff. So that's something that I'd personally like to see as an overseas I think, fan. I think it's a bang on initiative, you know. I think it's a really cool way to engage the, the fans and the community even more. Um, and you wouldn't run out of opportunities, as you said, sort of fan signings. You could have events down there. You could have corporate hospitality down there. It'd be a really nice idea um to add a bit of vibrancy to the city and like you said even more like celebrate those players you could certainly have the initiatives there on game days and tailgates and all sorts so yeah i think uh get on the phone to get on the phone to the bengals uh business team or some i will i will um so that's the ring of honor good stuff by the bengals um lovely video they produced as well uh yep. kind of ushering in uh Paul Brown and Anthony, and no doubt, I mean, you have to imagine that Ken Anderson uh, and Ken Riley, the, the two Kens, will uh, be part of that inaugural class uh, come the autumn. So uh, we look forward to that. Uh, another bit of news hit us last week coming out of PBS. It was that the team cut, uh, I think I'm safe to say, one of the fan base's favourite players of the past decade uh and that is running back giovanni uh bernard and uh, he finishes i think second in i want to say rushing yards but certainly receptions by running back he's had a really good career with cincinnati and um and yeah it was i guess a shock but it wasn't in some ways um but it was more kind of i mean in a in an off-season that, you know, we've had to wave goodbye to AJ Green and Geno Atkins and previously Carlos Dunlap, those pillars of the Marvin Lewis, and Andy Dalton, of course, uh, those pillars of the Marvin Lewis uh, era are, are completely gone now. And Gio, who was a uh, a real defender, fierce defender of Zach Taylor, a really loyal guy in that locker room, uh, he's gone. And, uh, yeah, it's I think this one, uh, weirdly... Uh, cut the deepest, I think. Um, even though I, th- I also think that uh, it, it was kind of on the cards, really. Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of rumours swirling, weren't there, about any potential trades of Giovanni Bernard. And I think when you looked at the, the finances, I think the Bengals were spending the most at the running back position of any team across the league with Joe Mixon on his you know, large deal that he got last off-season. Giovanni Bernard being a lot of money for a guy that really, if you looked at his production and the amount of carries he was getting, sort of take out the fact that obviously, you know, slightly inflated with Mixon being out injured for a proportion of last year. But it 
it didn't really make sense with the P Ryan signing, obviously as well, the running back position. And there's a lot of value in the draft in picking up a guy in the later rounds. And I think the Bengals, they would have loved to have him back. I mean, I think there was definitely talks about, look, you know, if you restructure your contract here, we'd have you stay. But in the end, I think the Bengals decided it was just too much money to commit to the position. But I think it's a real shame because I think everyone would agree that Giovanni Bernard had more to offer. He was great in pass protection. And as you rightly said, he's an excellent leader and a veteran in that locker room. And to be completely honest with you, like, as you mentioned, AJ Green, Gino Atkins, Sean Williams went this offseason as well, who's a veteran in that locker room. Carlos Dunlap, you know, Josh Bynes, not that he was a natural, someone that had been there for a long time, but a, a leader and someone that I think a lot of the younger guys looked up to. So there is a bit of a void there that you can't replace because you might be able to get one or two guys in from free agency, but again, they they're not don't know the team, they've not been around it before. And obviously, you're going to only go and fill the team up with some more youngsters coming in in the draft. So it's going to be interesting how the coaching staff manage that because the team is very, very young now and you've not got many guys on this team. I can't even think of guys really that have been here sort of five years plus. There's not many of them left. You're really going into your special teams guys with like... Kev Huber and Clark Harris and people like that. There's not much else. You know, you've got a Joe Burrow going into his first year. T Higgins, obviously, is a young guy as well. Mixon's been here just about five years now. So he's going to take on a bit more of a leadership role on that offense. But, you know, maybe someone like a Tyler Boyd. But it, it certainly is interesting across the board now how much younger this team has gotten. Um, and obviously, that comes with lack of experience as well. So a real shame with Gio. I would have loved them to have kept him. And I think somewhat disappointingly the fact that they were willing to keep him and they wanted to keep him in some ways but it just did come down to money I think was a real shame and I think they probably other teams around the league probably didn't want to trade for him because it was quite a heavy contract and now obviously they're free to negotiate with him and getting him on a cheaper deal as he was released but with the Bengals amount of cap room they've got I think it's disappointing because they're obviously they could have kept him they had the cap exactly and they're obviously a better team with Gio Bernard yes I I agree with that as, as much as you want to not overpay for someone at a certain position, and I think they would have been overpaying Giovanni Bernard and probably at the running back position by keeping him, but they've got the cap room and you can't operate always. You know, If you look at some of the best teams, you look at the Chiefs, you look at any of those teams that won Super Bowls, and you look across their roster, they're probably overspending in one position. If you were to look at it and say, actually, are they getting value for money at that position? Maybe not, but you've got to spend, you don't have to spend the money, but you, you can spend the money. And I think for the Bengals' sake, if you're going to be more competitive with a guy like that, and you've got the cat room you've got, the Bengals aren't scraping around trying to sort of, you know, just keep themselves above water here. They've got plenty of room. So I think in some ways it was a bit of a disappointing car, especially, as you mentioned, with how Gio really stuck up for Zach Taylor last year. He was a real voice of reason in the locker room when it was very, very boisterous and chaotic and at times felt like it was sort of slipping out of control last year. I think it's not the greatest um, look for the Bengals to be letting go of a player like that. But unfortunately, in the NFL, business is business. It is. Uh, interesting timing of the release as well. They sort of did an Andy Dalton on him, really, and waited pretty much to the last minute to release him instead of releasing him at the start of free agency. Um, but it seemed like an amicable split, and, um, you know, Gio's message was class as ever. His farewell message was real class. So, I mean, that's what you expect from him. Um, as ever in these circumstances, when our heroes leave or do something amazing... We celebrate them with a song. So here is our tribute song to Giovanni Bernard. 
going on the field now, Gio, you're a bird of paradise. Tiger stripes, smile, you were really very nice. Well, a step to your left and a cut to your right, you're a star in the midwest. We know you're something special and you look like you're the You're a true professional, one of the best singers I know. You just got to get down and do it, my boy. It's alright for you, man. You don't have to sing it. Hey now, woo, look at that. Dilly dilly, you're only down. At the end of the drive, the touch and the ride, you make me feel alive, alive, alive. Break against my enemy. You ever look when you took the phone? We know what you think. Just like a 
落马闪过。Well, there you go. Uh, apologies for that. That was a real bastard to sing, I have to, <laughs> to say, uh, uh, Nathan. Um, on, on the subject of these songs, my son, and this sort of leads us nicely onto our next topic very quickly, what's going on with Gino Atkins? Well, I'm, I'm, I've got one in the... Oh, he seems to be doing a lot of songs at the moment. I'm, do tell us if it's a bit too much, won't you, out there? But uh, I quite enjoyed doing them, and... Um, uh, yeah, we've got one lined up for Gio, uh, Gino. No, and, but do you think he's coming back, though? That's more to my uh, point. I doubt it. I doubt it. Mind you, Duke Tobin did say on the uh, Bengals Booth podcast when asked by Dan Horde, he said, never say never. So I don't think it's completely out of the question, but you you can't like uh, the chances of that happening, especially with the signings made, the Mike Daniels and Larry Ogunjobi and... Ronell Wren coming back in that three technique position. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but we do have that song um, in the locker for as and when. Um, in the vault. In the vault, ready to go. Uh, are you happy with uh, Geo? His name is Geo. Always happy with your singing, my son. It just it just it soothes my heart after a long day at work. Oh, God. That was so hard to sing, honestly. Anyway. Um, Favourite memories of, before we bring uh, Coach Caskey in, favourite memories of Gio? Have you got any apart from that Miami touchdown, obviously? I just always remember him being, uh, the Hard Knock series was always such a great introduction to him as a character and a person, wasn't it? And he always seemed not only like a true professional, but a very jovial, fun um, character as well. And obviously when we we met him, didn't we, over when they were in London, had a chat with him, and he comes mm. across exactly the same in real life as he does um, from the man you see on the TV screen. So, yeah, incredible player. Always felt like he really gave a bit like a Honey Badger style, gave more than his size, certainly in pass blocking. I think that was a hugely underrated part of his game that he really worked on and ended up being a really, really competent blocker. His, his speed and... Um, I mean, even last year we saw his speed. I remember a play against Philadelphia, and it was like third down or something, and and he uh, he caught a pass out of the backfield, downfield, not sort of relatively near the line, but he caught a pass uh, downfield, and uh, not for too far downfield, obviously, but um, and he motored honestly. Yeah, it was just like yeah. whoa. Why haven't we seen this? You know, the question, the the thing that we always say about Jay, we always think he's underused or has been underused because he is. He has got that X factor, and you look at the. I think there's been a few videos fans have put on YouTube. There's one run against the Vikings. I can't remember which year. I mentioned it to Coach Caskey actually, um, where he sort of almost does another Miami, uh, and then that huge touchdown run against uh, Carolina. And, you know, even last year against the Steelers, he scored a great touchdown where he caught the ball from Finley and kind of dodged two or three defenders before going into the end zone. He's still got it, man. He's definitely still got good pace, good elusiveness, and, as you say, great uh, pass-blocking ability. 
Um, He'll be an excellent rotational piece for whoever picks him up, not only for their on-the-field stuff, but as a leader coming into a team as well. If you're a team in contention that maybe needed to just sort of spruce up your your running back room, I think he'd be yeah. such a great addition. No, I agree with that. And um, I, think, I think with Gio, he felt like one of us because... With someone like an AJ Green or a Geno Atkins, Carlos to a lesser extent because he did engage with the fans, Carlos did. Uh, but someone like uh, Gio, um, he was really open on, on social media, really fun and funny in interviews, always really smiley. And where someone like AJ and Gino, although fantastic and we love them and all the rest of it, they always seemed a bit kind of, not unapproachable, but, you know, kind of, someone who just a little bit more standoffish you know what I mean whereas Gio was really open and fun and very humble and uh, a very nice man indeed and uh, someone that you could definitely think about having a pint with or going out on the town with for any for on an evening you know what I mean he, he had that sort of feel about him and I think that's why so many fans uh, really, really liked him, you know. And as you said, the Hard Knocks thing was a brilliant introduction to to the fan base. And uh, so, yeah, we'll miss him. But um, let's bring in uh, Kyle because he's got some fantastic insights uh, into Geo the man. And then maybe when we'll come back, we'll talk about Nathan Palmer, the man, and what that means. Uh, so let's bring Kyle in, shall we? Uh, as promised, we've got a fantastic guest to help us pay tribute to uh, Giovanni Bernard. He is, of course, uh, Kyle Kasky, who was, uh, I believe, Kyle, that you were uh, an offensive assistant coach when Gio was first uh, drafted in 2013. And then, of course, you went on to become a uh, the Bengals um, running backs coach. Um, thank you for coming on, coach. What an amazing... Uh, what an amazing guest we have. Thank you. I know. I'm glad you guys got me on here. This has been fun. I know you've mentioned before about hassling me, but it's no, never a hassle to come on with you guys. It's just the timing of it all. Well, we appreciate it. Um, my sell to you to come on here was to talk about Geo, and you responded that you could talk about Geo all day, which I think we all could, really. But I, I wanted to kind of narrow it down a little bit. Um, when when you guys were scouting... Um, Geo North Carolina. I mean, how did how did, what did you see in him first, and 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 how did you see him fitting in with the team? Because I think Ben Jarvis Green Ellis was the starting running back at that time, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And in that draft also was Le'Veon Bell. Which honestly, if you go back and look at him when he was in college, he was a lot bigger. It, it wasn't the Le'Veon Bell you saw when he got was in his prime in Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, so it was it was a different guy that got scouted, obviously. But <laughs> with Geo, because Geo ended up being the first running back taken that year in the second round, and he had a lot of qualities that you look for in more of an overall back, not necessarily a first, second down run guy, a third down guy only, a passing guy. He could do it all. Now the one problem with Geo uh, coming out, obviously, when you just look at numbers, was the his size. And it was more of his height instead of his weight. He's a very, very well built, strong guy, but he is five foot eight, and that does cause some issues. But it also makes some things a little easier too because he is so small. He can kind of slide through some some smaller holes and run lanes, and you know, just the, those kind of the, the smaller issues come in pass protection or throwing a ball to him downfield, just getting balls over people 
over defenders to, to him as being a smaller guy. But his he showed flash. He showed uh, make you miss. He was a returner as well. And just some of the plays he made, you, you just looked at him and said, all right, this guy's a, this guy's a, you know, electric, he can bring something to our offense. And that's what we saw. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, was he, was, was the intention to kind of rotate him in with um, uh, Ben Jarvis because Ben Jarvis was a, a particular kind of back and he was very good at what he did, but you know, was it, was he drafted as a change of pace guy or did you see him more uh, than that? I think he was drafted for a little bit more than that. I do know at the time that was the idea. Uh, you know, we had guys like Bernard Scott before him. We had guys like Cedric Pierman, um, you know, guys like that, that were in that in that same type of area that he was going to come in and try to take over. Mm. And really, if you look at Gio, Gio could be a starter in this league, has been a starter in this league, and, and can do it at a high level. So we saw that and we knew that if it came down to it and he ended up winning the job, then, then we had a guy. If he didn't win the job that year, that he could go in and do the things on third down, two-minute passing downs and uh, rotate in first and second down and be a runner for us. Now, I mean, I, I was looking at the the games and the and the box scores and the stats. I mean, he started to go quite quickly, actually. The the ratio of carries between him and Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis kind of balanced out quite quickly, didn't they? He got yeah, involved. You, got, you guys got him involved. Well, when you start making plays, it's hard to take the playmakers off the field. And one of the things that, uh, that Hugh Jackson was a big, big proponent of, not only as a coordinator and head coach, but as uh, as a position coach, was there's a flow to how running backs rotate. It's it's a, it's a feel that you have as a coach, as a player. And you don't sit there and say, these guys are going to get these amount of reps. And he was really, really good at that. And that was what I learned from him was, if there's a guy that's got the hot hand, you, you don't pull him out. You let him roll. And mm. even if it's not necessarily that the role you have him in, if he's if he's going, you let him play. And, and that's kind of what he started to do. He started to play really well. So we let mm. him play. Um, obviously, you know, most fans will remember that season for it being the hard knock season mm. at uh, Paul Brown Stadium and in Cincinnati. And I think a lot of fans fell in love with Gio because of the van and the car and just his personality. Um, what was your what was your impression of him as a rookie coming in in 2013? He just brought a different personality to the group. He was very very quiet early on because he didn't he he knew his role and he was going to do his role. But when he spoke, he always had something to say. And the more I got to know him, the more you realize that the minivan thing early on and him being so humble that that wasn't an act that wasn't something for hard knocks that was what he was he, he drove that minivan for a few years and then even now he's on he's on a second or third contract and the guy is the most humble guy you'll ever meet and he's he's out to he's out to help people out he's out to make the world better if you go and look at everything he's done with his families from haiti and all the things that they've done building a school down there mm. and it's just amazing what that guy does as a person and so what was the moment you thought, goodness me, we've, we've got a player here, you know, did he do anything in, in, in practice or, or did, was there a moment when you thought, hold on, we've, we've, we've scored here in the draft. We drafted a good one. I think it showed up fairly early in, in training camp that year. You know, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes in OTAs cause there's no pads on, but when you started putting pads on, you realize this guy could pass protect. Not only could he go in and do, uh, make you people miss and he's he's jumping around folks and 
making guys look crazy on defense because he's breaking their ankles all over the field. And then he comes out and he's stoning some guys in pass protection. And that's where you, you looked and you said, okay, now uh, this guy can be used in a lot more uh, situations than we thought. And, and really, honestly, one of the things that, that he did, and everybody wants to remember the, the play from Miami. I, I think that was something, you know, you're going to talk about. And, you know, that, that is some, that is a play where that showed what that guy is. He doesn't quit. Mm. And, and you know when you when you think about guys that just fight through everything. I mean, the guys had knee issues. The guy's been, you know, behind other backs as a you know as a second team guy, rotational guy when he maybe should have been the the starter and never never quit. And that's that's a quality of his that is uh, it's hard to come by. I just want to pick up on pass protection real quick because that's something that uh, people really rave about, and you can see his his blitz pickups and then his, his, his pass protection as well. He's just, I mean, he's one of the better uh, backs in the league, I think, at, at, at pass protection. Did he show that early or was that something that um, he was taught? Uh, it's something that he's, he was taught and developed over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ha- Because you have to in the NFL. I, right. I think he did. He was, he was taught this in college. He came in, able to do it but he really took to it and started to understand more or less the ids and, and looking at the defense and understanding who he has to block and where they're coming from because mm. if w- once he started to do that and he could pick up on that a little bit quicker than he was he was able to physically go get on those guys quicker mm. and a guy of his size he, he does have one thing he does have leverage to his advantage because he's already down there but he, he he has to get up underneath these guys and, and he was able to really take off in the pass protection once he learned the IDs and really understood NFL defenses. And that came really quickly, to be honest with you. And that's why he's such a good pass protector. Mm. Um, you mentioned it. We, we we can't not talk about it, but I, I guess his most famous play is that touchdown, that 35-yard touchdown run against Miami on Thursday night football. The Bengals lost the game. Mm-hmm. I think they lost Gino during that game as well uh, for the year. For the, with we the, did, and we lost on a on a walk off safety in overtime. Yeah. Anyway, we'll gloss over that. Um, um, but I mean, everyone remembers that run. You were on the sidelines. What do you remember about it? Uh, tell us a little bit behind that play. Well, it was a toss to the right. So what we did was we had a bunch formation, and we had a couple guys blocking down, and we were pulling a couple guys around the edge, and it's a toss. So we're trying to get him to stretch the defense and then cut it up. Or if he gets the edge, just take the edge. Well, when he got over there, uh, number 21, I, I think it was Grimes is it was his name. Um, he, he ended up coming up and really setting the edge and he, he missed, he missed him there. So when he set the edge, he slipped, he missed geo decided to reverse course and went all the way back to the other side. Uh, he made a couple guys miss over there. He also made Grimes, I believe, miss a couple more times on the way to the end zone. So that that's what I remember the most was the fact that he was he he made multiple people miss multiple times. So <laughs> he 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 was it, it was one of those one of those runs that when it was going on, you're like this can't be happening. And then sure enough, I mean, he gets in the end zone and you know he, he does his little celebration, which is not much, but everybody <laughs> was just so excited for him. And plus, you got to remember he went to high school in Miami. So he was home basically, you know, and and that's where that, that's where it all started for him. And the fact that he did it in front of his hometown uh, fans there, it, I think it meant a lot to him. Um, well, I mean, again, that's the mo- that's the standout moment. But I've been watching sort of people have been putting YouTube clips, and there's one run against Minnesota where he kind of almost did the same thing. Uh, I can't remember what year it was from, but 
Um, and, you know, there's some fantastic plays. Even last year, you know, there was a couple of touchdowns he scored. It's like, well, this guy's still got it. You know, he's this guy's still got the pace. He's still got the toughness. He's still got the smarts. Um, are there any other sort of little memories that you can share with us of Geo, perhaps on the field? Yeah, I got one from a game and one from practice. And the one from the game was 2014. Uh, we were playing Carolina at home. We were on the seven-yard line coming out, so we had 93 yards to go to score. Uh, we're in I formation, and we, we run an inside zone lead play to the left. And we're Carolina, for people who don't know what, what their defense is when they had Keekly and he was playing at a high level, they're fast-flow linebackers. So those guys went flowing hard to our left. He cuts all the way back behind, almost behind. I know he went behind the right guard all the way back. I don't know if he made it all, behind, all the way behind the tackle, but he ended up running through the small crease and then outran everybody to the end zone for a 93-yard touchdown. Mm. And I just remember that just being like, oh, my goodness, this kid, he, he got through there, and then his speed actually showed up because everybody kept talking about he doesn't have this long speed. And mm. the guy's fast enough, trust me. You don't have to run a 4-2 to be a good running back. You just got to be able to outrun the secondary every once in a while. Yeah. But um, that would be my one in the game. Uh, in practice, you know, I, I think a lot of people, if you go back – uh, he had blown out his knee, uh, I believe, in 2016 um, at the end of the year. So we're going into training camp in 2017, and he didn't do any OTAs. Um, and then first, the very first practice back, we were in shorts and shoulder pads, but we had a, a run drill, and we were running some inside runs. And uh, he gets tackled. Vontez Perfect ended up uh, rolling on his on his knee. I don't. I really looking back on it. What a believe, shot. I don't believe he did it on purpose. Okay. And, it set me off. I was just mad at that day. It was just one of those days as a coach, you just kind of lose your cool. And mm. I, I went over yelling at perfect. And he, you know, he kind of, we got in a little scuffle with me and him and the offense came over and had my back and stuff. And I just remember Gio coming over to me and going, coach, it's fine. It's okay. I'm good. I'm good. Just let it go. Let it go. So I went over and made up with Vontez after practice. We're fine. It just was one of those moments. It's just like anything else. I mean, you, yeah. I was like, why are you tackling my, you know, the, my running back who just had his ACL redone and, uh, and Vontez, I know now, you know, now I know he didn't do it on purpose. There's no way Vontez would ever want to hurt Gio by any means. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not that everybody gives Vontez this bad, you know, I, I guess persona, but I mean, some of it's due, but not all of it is. He's, I actually was Fontes and, and Pac-Man and that whole group. Those are some of my favorite guys on the team. Um, well, let's talk a little bit. You hinted at it. Let's talk a little bit about Gio the man, because he always comes across as fun. He's got this beautiful big smile that kind of, you know, lights up every room that he walks in. He's pretty chilled. I've met him. We've had him on the podcast a few times. Lovely guy. Very funny. Open. Um but I, I always get the impression that he is one tough guy. He's taken some hits in games. He's just got straight back up. He's pretty a pretty fierce competitor, isn't he? Yeah, and the crazy thing is, is when he did blow his knee in uh, 2016, it was against Buffalo, he had gotten kind of slung into a linebacker. It wasn't really a – it was just a freak deal, and his, his leg actually hit the linebacker and just was hitting a bad spot. He – I didn't know he was hurt, to be honest with you. Yeah. I knew – I thought, okay, yeah, he just got dinged up. He played another two plays and actually caught a pass after he had blown his ACL. So, Whoa. he actually played two plays after he blew his ACL. And uh, that, that was then, – then he he couldn't take anymore, so we got him out. And, I mean, it, it, it really killed him 
after that game. I, I remember going and seeing Chloe after the game as his now wife, mm. um, and she was out in the hallway, and uh, I ended up talking to her for a long time because I mean she was as as you know upset about it as he was, which is I mean that's just how those two are. Those those two are great for each other, and um, it, it just took him a little while. But I'll tell you what though, I mean two or three days later. I mean, he's in there, he's already doing rehab and he's, he's like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, coach. I'm fine. I'm going to be back. You know, and mm. that's the kind of guy he is. Um, as a coach and especially as a position coach, I guess you, you do get to form very close relationships with the guys in your room. Um, Cause you spend so much time together with them. You get to know them as people, you know, them as players. You must be pretty proud of what Gio's achieved, as you say. What is your second, third contract? And he stayed in Cincinnati for eight years, and hopefully he'll go on to, you know, somewhere else and round off his career. You must be pretty proud of what he's achieved and what kind of man he's developed into. Yeah, and and so like everything I've said already, the guy, the guy's shown it the whole time. He's the same guy every day, and. <laughs> That those are the kind of guys you really like to have in your in your room because when you have if you have another guy in your room that's not the same every day he helps keep that other guy you know mm -hmm. a little bit you know on on the same level so he he was helpful for me coming in coming in as a position coach to uh, really take help take over that room and I always leaned on him for a lot of things and I, I really hope whatever happens to him in his career that he he's successful that he gets a chance to really show what he can still do and. You know, he doesn't have a lot of miles on him. He may have, you know, he had those knee issues, but mm. in all reality, the guy doesn't have a whole lot of miles on him. And he's still, I mean, he's still got some years left in him. So it'd be fun to see what he can do. Mm, absolutely. Um, we can't let you go, Kyle, without asking you about the draft. It's it's fast approaching. And I, I'm intrigued. Uh, us fans over here, we, we don't know the score when it comes to draft rooms and war rooms. And you've been a part of those war rooms on draft day what's it like what's it really like is everyone kind of running around and being frantic and when they see their guy taken off the board do this like is it panic state you know what is it like on draft day it's it's a little different in, in everywhere you go so I've, I've only really been in two nfl uh franchises but i've seen it from two different two totally different perspectives and mm. uh in cincinnati we were all involved as coaches really we be kind of came the position scouts so we had a we did a lot more work than a lot of teams allow their position coaches to do, which I thought was good because it allowed us as coaches to understand what players were in the draft and uh, what they were all about, how they fit with our team. And then uh, during the draft period, yeah, we, we got to say our piece and everything, but come draft day, there's so many different things that are already written up, whether it's on the board, whether it's somewhere just with different people understanding the lists of players available, that if a guy comes off the board, we already know we've already talked through scenarios by that point. And but between each pick, you're talking about scenarios. What if this guy's only available? What if these three guys are available? And you know, what if all three of these guys are gone? What position are we going to next? So there's a lot of things being spoken about in those draft rooms. It's not just a list of people. And we're just like throwing darts at a board, hoping we, we hit one. And now when I went to Detroit, we did all of our work, just, you know, the same, we had a list of guys that wasn't nearly as long. And then we would go and we would, workout guys we would uh, talk to guys we would go visit guys at, at their schools uh, have them in for visits at our place but when it came to the draft we were not in the draft room uh, in Detroit now if we needed to be spoken to about somebody they would come mm. down and get us but we were not in the draft room we were in the draft we were in the draft room in Cincinnati which was fun to watch because you got to see the card being turned in and 
you know, the call being made to the guys that were at the draft, which by the way, um, those were not coaches or, or front office guys. Those were other employees within the, the organization, but they were very trusted employees within the organization yeah. that, that were there doing that. So all the decision makers were actually in the draft room in Cincinnati in Paul Brown stadium. I mean, it sounds like kind of fun, right? It's exciting. It's fun. You know, you're, all the work that you've done on your, on your prospects and, is it is it is it really gratifying when one of your guys gets selected? It really is, and you know I had a couple of of chances to get running backs with Jeremy Hill uh, and Joe Mixon early, and really that when we ended up getting Joe Mixon, I was that that got me really excited because I, I had really had a high view of him uh, coming into the draft and uh, through everything he had been through. It didn't you know all that stuff I had already vetted with him so. I was good with it. And then when we, we actually traded down uh, with Minnesota in that draft and they took Dalvin cook. And then there was like eight picks later was our pick. And I was so nervous during those other picks, just waiting <laughs> for ours to come up. And then when I, when whoever was before us took whoever it was and it wasn't Joe, I was so excited. So, mm -hmm. um, but that, yeah, it's, it, it, there is something to that, especially when you know you're getting a really good player. Those guys worked out as well. Certainly. Yeah. Jeremy had a great rookie season, didn't he? And and Joe's one of the premier backs in the league now. So uh... yeah, one of the things too about you know about Jeremy, Jeremy, everybody remembers Jeremy for one thing, and people have to understand Jeremy did a lot of good for the Bengals, and that that's where you got to remember too. People people are going to have bad plays, and unfortunately, his was you know in a bad, really bad time. Uh, but you got to look if you look past that and and take that out of your mind for a minute he did a lot of really good things for the Bengals. So, I, you know, I, I always want people to remember that he, he did do that and he had some good years for, for the Bengals. Mm, very much so. Um, just before I go, one quick last question, Kyle. Um, I saw you on the TV, local Cincinnati TV recently. You came out onto uh, Team Chase, or at least Team Wide Receiver, I think. Are you still sticking by that for this draft for the Bengals? So the reason I said that, and I look back at what they've done so far in this offseason, I'm all for the offensive line. Don't get me wrong. They, I put a tweet out earlier this year, earlier spring, talking about it's hard to throw off your back, and mm. I still stand by that. And if they take Sewell out of Oregon, I think that's a great pick too. reason I said take the receiver is the wild card in this whole thing is Frank Pollock, the O-line coach. He's back, and if you look at what he did in the one season he was there at Cincinnati – uh, we ended up leading the, the the AFC in rushing that year with Joe Mixon. And th there was a lot of good he did with a, a group of O-linemen o that a lot of people would say was probably going to be – was not as talented as what mm -hmm. they're going to have coming forward this year if you just went with what they have right now. Um, there are other guys later in the second, third rounds that you can take that he can get just as much out of as a guard most likely. Uh, if you look at the tackle situation – uh, you got Jonah Williams coming back. You got Riley Reef. Um, your center, your center situation is a lot better than people think. If you know, if uh, Trey Hopkins can come back healthy, you know, you got Billy Price, and Billy Price did some good things under Frank Pollock. That's what people have to remember. So when you look at the coach that's reuniting with some of these players, uh, that's why I say if four quarterbacks get taken in front of uh, the Bengals pick, you know, you might say. I mean, come on, the, you know, you, you got a chance to get another A.J. Green type of player uh, right there, and it's hard to pass up. And you see what A.J. did, and he was the fourth pick in the draft. And honestly, except for maybe this past season, I mean, A.J.'s been an elite receiver. Mm. Um, 
Frank Pollock, is he that good then? You work with him. Is he that good? I, I believe he's one of the uh, top O-line coaches in the league currently right now. Mm. Uh, and the reason I say that is the way he coaches guys, it, it has nothing to do with, um, you know, yelling, screaming, all that. He is very intense. Don't get me wrong. You don't you don't want to mess with Frank sometimes when he's in his, in his zone because uh, he's a big man and he can get intimidating at times. But uh, he, he is very – he's a teacher – he understands that number one players can't develop and players can't play fast and, and to the, the highest level of their abilities if they don't know what they're doing. So he does a good job in teaching and he comes across in a way that's very matter of fact. And he doesn't, you know, he's very transparent with the players. If you're not doing your job, he's not scared to tell you if you're doing your job, he'll tell you, but he'll also be like, all right, you, you still can be better. And he always pushes guys in, in that direction. Great stuff, Carl. Could talk to you all day, um, but I know that you've got a lot on your plate at the moment, so thank you so much for spending the time with us. I hope everyone out there really appreciates uh, your insight into Geo and the draft process, and we'll see how it all goes, and let's hope that Coach Pollock can squeeze every inch out of those guys on the line. But, Kyle, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, and I just want to throw this out there real quick to, to end it. Is it's, it's so cool to see all you guys over there across – uh, over in uh, England and all over, you know, outside of the United States that are really taken to the Bengals or even, you know, guys that are taken to other teams that are over there. It's, it's just fun to see football uh, moving in that direction and anything we can do to help you guys out when it comes to understanding the game better or just, you know, having more of a, of a feel for what it's like to be at an NFL game. Cause I know you guys don't get over there as much. And it's just fun to see you guys interacting with all the, the fans over here. Thanks, Kyle. We love it. And uh, we love people like you coming on to, to, again, give us that insight that we don't get every day. So thank you so much again. Yeah, anytime. There we go. There's a coach, Kyle Kasky, and uh, uh, former running backs coach for the Bengals. Obviously worked one-on-one with uh, Mano, a Mano with Gio Bernard. And... Uh, uh, had some great things to say about him as a player and uh, as a person. And also some interesting things about the draft as well, you know, uh, what it was like to be in that draft room in Cincinnati. And what was interesting to me, you hear about it, but the fact is that in Detroit, he wasn't even required to go into the draft room because, you know, all the scouts and whatnot were, had handed over their information, their intel on players, and it was just down to a select handful of people to choose the players. Whereas in Cincinnati, you know, as we know, they they ask the position coaches and the assistant coaches to do much more scouting work. And um, uh, and that means they're in the draft room as well. So that must, I don't know, that must be more fun, I think, perhaps. 100%. And it makes you feel part of the whole process, doesn't it? So you don't just get handed a guy. It's someone that you've, as a coach, worked out and had a look out on tape and really done your homework on that you sort of bring in as your own, I guess. And it must motivate you to know that the team are listening to you and that they've got some faith in you to scout and, you know, therefore hopefully develop a player. So yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Uh, fantastic insights from Kyle there. So we thank him for the time. Uh, he's actually moving house at the moment. So it's great that he was able to spare a bit of time for us. Uh, but now it's time for our correspondence. And I opened it up today and asked people to give us some geo memories, their favorite memories of geo and um 
Um, bit of draft stuff if they fancied it, and perhaps some more left field Ring of Honor uh, candidates. So let's let's see what you guys have been saying. David Wegemo at Wegemo Rot. <laughs> Solid handle. Could you try to explain for a dumbass like me how the Chase Sewell narrative switched so fast? All season we watched our offense flatline because of horrible O line play, and now all of a sudden everyone prioritizes. Uh, wide receiver. Why gamble with uh, uh, with the OL pick? Very confused. Um, it's a fair point, David, because you're right. Um, at the start of the draft uh, process, everyone was kind of like, "Look, tank for Saul. You know, get Saul in." We know we know our um, line is really bad, but don't you think that this happens every draft? People get very seduced by skill position players. 100%. And it's kind of, they, they get, they start to kind of, uh, you know, get intoxicated by this idea of a new AJ Green um, coming in. And uh, I think it happens every single year. And, and we're at that stage now where people are going full circle and discussing things and going around in circles. Saul or Chase, Chase or Saul, Saul or Chase. Um, so we're we're back to about parity now, I think, between the two. Um, but you know, I, I think uh, people, it's it's a fun position, wide receiver, isn't it? And people know that we need to replace AJ Green. And as Coach Kasky said, you know, you've got a wide receiver sitting there at five potentially, who has a relationship with Joe Burrow. Uh, we've picked uh, in that position before a wide receiver, and that worked out really well. Uh, there's really good depth uh, for for the offensive line in, in rounds two and three. So, you know, I think it's a combination of a few things, don't you think? Yeah, 100%. And I, I think that that's what it comes down to, is what you said there at the end. The Bengals really think they can get a starter on the offensive line in the second or third round. And they'd probably be right. The depth there is probably a bit stronger than a wide receiver. And I think the combination there i don't know if the bengals would be as keen on taking a receiver if it just came down to Jalen waddle and devon smith i do think that joe burrow banging the table saying look you know this guy jamar chase is incredible prospect like you've got to go out and get here maybe not that strongly but certainly you know having worked with jamar chase and been around him and knowing the sort of the man that he is um that that will factor into the bengals decision making process and I think that as much as Saul might be the smarter pick and might be the stronger position of need, they have gone out there. You know, they've got Riley Reef, they've got him playing on the right side, they've got Jonah Williams coming back. Um, so there's not necessarily, unless you were to kick Saul inside to to guard, which they probably would do in that in that case, they probably do think to themselves, actually, if we go out there and get a guy in the second round like a Sam Cosme or whoever else, they might think, look, that does it for us. He's a very good player. You know, we've got the two guys we need there. And actually, we can sort of sit him behind um, a veteran like Reef and say, next year, bring them in and start them. So I actually think, even though I probably would lean towards Saul, I do think the way the Bengals have positioned themselves does sort of tip their hand a bit that they might go to Jamar Chase. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but completely understand the point. Very very well said there, Nathan. CJ at who CJ, uh, slightly away from draft chat. What's the bare minimum for this season for Zach Glue, etc., to still be in the job this time next year? CJ, it's a bit early for that, I think. I want to concentrate on the draft. But I'm saying, saying around 7 and 9, 8 and 8 for next year. That's the bare minimum for me. 
Um, but oh, I, you have to get. I mean, and bear in mind, son, there's another game, isn't there? Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I forgot about that. So I I think that based on the fact that you can't have a 500 season anymore, I think anything less than nine and eight is going to be time to go. I think. I think if you were eight and nine, eight and nine, you might scrape on by the skin of your teeth. But I think that for Zach Taylor, having had, and again, we don't need to go into this in a lot of detail. No, let, let, let's let's move on because we're talking about Gio yeah. and the draft and whatnot. Yeah. we'll come back to that yeah. as the season starts. Dom, yes. Dom yes, yes. at Bumbling Bengal. Uh, I loved flicking through Gio's Instagram stories and seeing him, Ericsson, and uh, Uzama dicking about and pranking each other. I'll certainly miss the leadership and positive energy he brings to the team. Nobody was a bigger supporter of ZT. Hope you guys are all doing well. Here, here, Dom. They were they were quite a trio, and two to three are now gone. Poor old CJ. Someone check on him. Nathan, give him a call, man. Uh, Tom McDowell at Wagat Dub DD. Uh, my fondest memory of Joe was being in, on stage with him at an NFL UK event and we both missed throwing a ball into a bin multiple times. Such a fun human he will be missed. Uh, subsequent question from Tom. How do you feel the team should address players making the Ring of Honour that left on iffy terms like Corey Dillon, Carson Palmer, etc.? Um, Corey Dillon, I think, has sort of patched up his differences with the Cincinnati uh, Populous, hasn't he? He went back for the 50th year celebrations. In fact, I met him over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he got. <laughs> Look at your smug grin on your face. I can see it from oh, here. Yeah, I know. Uh, but he got a really warm reception after everything he said when he left. So I think he's a shoe in, really, at some point. He's got to go on. He's. I think if you had to name uh, an all Bengals team, he would. He, he would be on it. I have to say. Carson Palmer, I'm not so sure. I don't think it's necessarily a case of leaving on iffy. I'm, I'm, I wonder about whether his performance is sort of merited. He was brilliant for a, for two or three years, then very inconsistent, I think. So, I don't know. What yeah, do you think? I, think, I think Carson Palmer will have a very tough road in. I don't think that if it comes down to fan voting, I can't see him ever really getting in on that. I think there's still quite a few fans out there that are, are shall we say, indifferent at best. Um about the way in which he left the team. And obviously, I think his relationship with the actual organisation itself is, again, not probably okay, but not certainly um, wasn't left on the best terms. So we've thrown so many incredible names out there. I'd find it hard to believe that, you know, certainly take years and years until he was able to dethrone someone, you know, that we've discussed there. And to be completely honest with you, in today's market, you'd argue that someone like an Andy Dalton uh, would actually probably be ahead of him on the list. So mm. I don't think Carson Palmer is probably going to be entering that uh, that ring of honour. But Corey Dillon, on the other hand, I think, yeah, possibly. But it, there's a lot of... If, it, if they're only doing two or four a year, it might take a while for him. Yeah, I think that's the plan. That's Elizabeth Blackburn's plan, I think. To This is going to run and run, and, as it should do, you know, and uh, it has to have real prestige to it, as it should do. So I think in today's society where we expect... You know everything to happen straight away. It's not going to happen, as you say. There might be four. There might be half a dozen a year, um, and it's going to be. You know, it's going to be twenty years until Carson Palmer gets in. I think if he if he does ever get in, uh, Matt Moon at Matt Moon Ring of Honor. I think Munoz touched on the idea of including Jim McNally, and I think that might be a good shout. He was uh, the legendary O line coach for many years, and. Um, 
Matt also says, uh, in regards to Geo, once again I will mention how the opening of Hard Knocks 2013 started me down the path of following the Bengals, and I think that is very true for lots of fans out there. They started supporting the Bengals after that 2013 uh, Hard Knocks uh, season, didn't they? Um, okay, let's go to Dreams of Widness at D Widness. Uh, Geo, a dark one, but him getting speared by Ryan Shazir that quietly led to a rule change. I mean, it's not the memory I would have chosen, Jim, there <laughs> for Geo, but I know what you mean because that was that was an earth shattering hit by Shazir. And you know what? It absolutely, you know, Bengals. The Bengals fans that night uh, in that game that shall not be named in twenty, well, January twenty sixteen, I guess it was. Um, you know that that I mean, they got absolutely caned in the media for kind of you know being rowdy and throwing things at Roethlisberger and whatnot. But it was that hit on Giovanni Bernard that kicked the crowd off completely. It went from a feral atmosphere. To an absolute, I don't know what you what you call it, uh, absolutely insane atmosphere, some sort of coliseum atmosphere. <laughs> oh, I can't even think about that game, lad. It right, absolutely pains me every time we reference let's, it. Let's move on then. Uh, Ring of uh, Honor candidate said, "Jimmy, I'd put Icky Woods in, even for that rookie season and his cold cuts appreciation." Thanks as ever for the stellar content, lads. Loves from the far east. Memphis Soul Stewart, Stewart Bears, 688, Geo, Thursday Night Football, 2013 against Miami, just amazing, and he has a mighty fine moustache, or at least he did do, I think he's had a shave now. Um, Matt Ledbetter at Noodle XV, for me, the best Bengal that never gets talked about is Justin Smith. Like Willie, he was a great player on some really bad teams. It's a fair shout, I'm not sure whether he'll get yeah, the but he was a heck of a player. Uh, Dan Southall at Wolf in Derby. Um, Solid handle. Read the draft. Who should the Bengals pick at number five? I feel like this is a really important topic that's barely been mentioned. I feel Dan is being sarcastic in his tweet there. Uh, So we'll move on and we won't mention uh, that too much. Uh, Odat at DZE. Hey, chaps, thanks for all your output. I think Zach is under pressure to deliver this year. And according to the Bengals Pro Scout, they initially didn't get the guys they were after in free agency. So who do you think is the player Zach will be banging the drum for at five to save his job? Uh, it's Saul or Chase. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, there's some draft, like mock drafts out there, like certainly one I think from Daniel Jeremiah at NFL.com. Yeah, and there was yeah. another one. It might have been Pete Prisco, actually, um, saying that they could draft um, Kyle Pitts. But I... I just don't. As much as he's an intriguing prospect and a freakish athlete and could honestly be the best player in the draft, I just don't think the Bengals are going to go down that route. It would feel like a bit of a luxury pick when they actually are pretty desperate at tackle um, and definitely could use a wide receiver more. So there's the argument you could obviously line him up in different positions, but I think it is going to come down to either one of those two, obviously, unless they trade back. Jamie at Trek Art Beast to finish things off. Geo going airborne to open the scoring versus Green Bay in 2013. Yeah, that was a good one. And yeah, that was, that was his Geo memory. Left field Ring of Honor candidate Bobby Williams. Possibly Bobby Williams. They went a bit Welsh there. Um, 
Possibly the Bengals' best ever free agent signing. Bobby Williams was a bit of a, a bit of a character, wasn't he? He's right on the offensive line. I remember him being a good right player. sort of like, yeah, very good player as well. Yeah, it's a great shout from Jamie actually. I got to say, yeah, I'm not quite sure if he's Ring of Honor uh, worthy, but yeah, fantastic player. Um, what is the greatest free agent signing ever? Anyway, that's another podcast completely. Um, Antoine Odom. Yes, let, let's 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 finish the podcast as we started with Antoine Odom. Um, well, that's you lot for to, uh, for this episode. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Kyle Kasky. Many thanks to Coach for coming on and spending some time with us. Um, uh, the huge thank you to Giovanni Bernard for his eight years as a Bengal. Uh, it's kind of tough to see these guys uh, go, and uh, Joe was one of the toughest, I think. Um, but the world continues to turn, and uh, we will, I promise you, have Dave Lapham uh in next week's podcast we'll be back on our draft bullshit so tune in for that i bet you can hardly wait um but yeah lap will be coming on uh for his annual appearance uh to chat all things draft and then uh after that we'll have joe gabriel to see what he's uh up to these days uh so until that moment it is a who day for me and a who day from me cheers guys And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.